It's Greg, and we're back with another episode of the Leg Ski Podcast, this time featuring Cody Wheat, a lifelong skier that happened to fracture his tibial plateau during a slushy spring day last season. On this episode, Cody shares the cause of his injury and how the medical team decided that he would be able to recover without needing surgery. He has some helpful rehab advice for those recovering from injury, so let's welcome him to the podcast. All right, Mr. Cody, welcome to the Legacy Podcast. Thanks for taking the time today. For the listeners that are on um, and that want to know a little bit more, can you tell us where you're calling from and a little bit about your story? Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, great to great to connect with you. Uh, my name is Cody Wheat. I am calling in from Denver, Colorado, uh, originally from Southern California, actually. So I grew up skiing uh, Mammoth Mountain. I ended up actually joining the race team there, raced from the time I was nine till I was 16. Uh, that's really how I fell in love with skiing and got started with the sport. And then, uh, you know, ultimately stopped racing uh, and then sort of later in life, I've kind of come back to it and now get to ski a whole lot out here in the Rocky Mountains. That's phenomenal. What um, what would you say your favorite resort is out in the Rockies? Oh, gosh. Um it's a good question. I actually, this past year, uh, between the Epic and the Icon Pass, there are 12 resorts uh, within Colorado. And my goal last year was to get to all of them. And I did it. So uh, it's, it's, it's good timing on this question. Uh, I got to say Telluride for me was really phenomenal. Um, obviously, if you're coming from Denver, it's a little bit of a farther drive to get out there, but just a, a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, and, you know, there's at any level of skiing that you're looking for, there's something there. So that's, that's a very good spot. Sweet. Well, I have not been there, but it's definitely on the list of the places to check out. Um, So I have a question coming from a background in ski racing. What does your skiing style look like these days? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, You know, I definitely given my background will always love a day, just ripping groomers and, and being on piste as it were. That's just how I grew up. Um, I definitely don't shy away from icier conditions because that's what a lot of the training that we had was on, on a you know day in and day out basis. Uh, I do, again, just given where, where I live now and, and the conditions and certainly the conditions of last year, uh, really, I would say started to fall in love with tree skiing and, and got an understanding of kind of the hype that a lot of my friends who didn't grow up racing and just sort of grew up uh, with it more of a recreational activity, sort of, sort of falling in love with that. So uh, at this point, all mountain, um, looking to looking to continue to challenge myself and and see how I can continue to improve my own skill. That's phenomenal. And I know being in Colorado, maybe you moved there for work, maybe you moved there for the skiing, maybe both. What do you think um, you like most about skiing? Like what value does that bring to your life? And why do you think you continue to do it year after year? Yeah, it's a great question. So I did move here actually it was for work and for just kind of personal reasons and and wanting to be closer to the mountains. Honestly, that was that was a huge piece of wanting to be out here. Um what keeps me coming back to skiing? I think there's a sense of probably two things. I would say freedom, number one, just like the actual physical movement itself going down the mountain. It's a very freeing experience. Um, you know, being able to pick your own line. Again, we just talked about tree skiing. Uh, you know, that sense of, I can kind of go where I want is, is really nice to uh, certainly if you're coming from sort of the nine to five grind during the week, to be able to have that freedom on the weekends is fantastic. 
And then the other thing is a sense of peace, um, just inner peace, you know, being out again, whether it's in the trees on a powder day or just sort of at the top of the mountain early in the morning, and you just sort of can take a deep breath and enjoy the view and take in where you are. Uh, just that sense of inner peace that you get being in the mountains is second to none. I cannot agree more. It's like one of the joys of skiing. Yeah. So I wouldn't have brought you on the podcast today if you uh, didn't have anything to talk about injury-wise. Uh, do you want to let the listeners kind of know kind of what happened um, and where you're at today after the results of what happened? Yeah, absolutely. So um, back in April, and this was actually at resort number 12, I mentioned I, you know, the goal was to ski all 12 Epic and Icon resorts in Colorado. I was on resort number 12, uh, end of the day slushing conditions and i actually was demoing a pair of skis that just didn't have the right wax on them so they were kind of they were kind of sticking to the snow anyways and i should have known better to just kind of take it slow and uh not try to push things too much um ended up pushing a little harder than i should have uh and just kind of a weird awkward dip in the hill and skis you know if you've ever been on skis that are not waxed and they hit really basically water you know they just sort of come to a stop and that's what happened. I really sort of hyperextended my knee and kind of flexed it, um, flexed over the front of my skis. And as part of that process, um, ended up having what is called a tibial plateau fracture. So definitely an unusual injury. Um, and in talking to the PTs out here and the doctors that I got to speak with, they were, they were pretty surprised, honestly, that I didn't either have my ACL or my MCL I, in, in all likelihood, I, I got really lucky. Um, that this is what I sustained. So for folks who are not familiar, I'll give you the full name of my injury and then we can kind of break this down. So the full name is a non-displaced type three tibial plateau fracture. So for everyone who's not familiar, the tibial plateau, they can think about that as like the top of your shin or the bottom of your knee. It is that flat surface, hence the name plateau. Um, and anytime you jump up and come down, or you're jumping off of, you know, a cliff, whatever it might be, that is the area that's really taking a lot of that force and a lot of that pressure. So it's a really important uh, bone and part of that, that tibial bone, um, because it is absorbing so much of that force. Because I got injured, I then had to learn that there are in fact, six types of tibial plateau fractures. As I said, I had a type three. So type three is where Basically, uh, it almost looks like the top of the bone sort of got crushed. Um, there's other types of breaks and, and fractures that extend a little bit farther down the shin. Um, but mine, if you look when I had it on the um, MRI that I eventually got, it almost looked like a backwards L. You can kind of see this major fault line that started on the tibial plateau and then went towards the outer part of um, my leg. and that brings us to the last part, which is non-displaced. So non-displaced means that the bone did not completely break off. Um, it was just a crack in there. It was millimeters away from having broken off. So again, another kind of stroke of luck there on that one. But had it broken off, there was going to be conversations around what I've had to have had surgery to either kind of surgically kind of screw that back in given where it was, uh, there was some debate of, do we just remove the bone and possibly just see how your knee does without sort of that section? Um, again, awkward spot. And so 
The unfortunate thing with this injury uh, was that there wasn't a ton to do initially. It was just sort of, I was on crutches. I was non-weight bearing for a period of time and then very slowly went to 25% and 50 and 75. And for anyone who's, who's had that kind of an injury, they can probably sympathize that just, it's a slow process. Um, certainly that's the feeling of it going through it. Um, and so for the first probably two months, uh, that was, that was where my rehab looks like was just sort of doing what I could. Um, I would spin on a bike with no resistance just to at least get some movement in my legs. Uh, that, that was really honestly about the extent of physical activity. I, I couldn't really lift any weight with my upper body because of course now you're putting weight into your leg to sort of support that. And so, um, limited a lot of what I could do, but just had to really take it easy and, and have kind of a slow, a slow go for those first few months. Wow. Yeah. You talk about like the, the hyperextension injury. Usually that would be more of like an ACL, kind of like your surgeon and physical therapist talked about. Um, all of the tibial plateau fractures that I've seen in clinic have been from traumatic, either you land and kind of land on a locked knee or you run into a tree or something that's buried under the snow, but having a hyperextension is quite rare. So, um, one, I would say, yes, super fascinating Two, I would say you did get lucky because bone actually heals much faster than the ligaments do. Um, and when you do have a ligamentous injury, that's like a definite, you need to get surgery, um, to repair the ligament. Now you don't, ne don't necessarily need uh, surgery to get back to skiing, but if you want to have that ligament be repaired, the ligament won't just naturally repair itself like the bone would. So you kind of scathe by, um, as best as possible with that. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that was the big thing I just had to keep, keep reminding myself and certainly the physical therapist that I worked with out here in Colorado, you know, she, she, she gave me some tough love for sure. She's like, listen, I get that this sucks for you, but the guy that I'm seeing right after you, you know, has kind of a similar small fracture in his tibial plateau, but he also tore his ACL and MCL. And so I'm going to be seeing this guy probably for the next year and you're going to be out of here before you know it. So, um, it was, it was a good, uh, shift in perspective for sure. Yeah. So let's go into kind of the mindset behind what happened. If you were to go back to that day, is there anything that you would have done differently, um, about the situation? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, and obviously again, grew up racing, experienced skier, skied all over the state at, at that point in that season. And there's a part of me that's like, I should have just known better. You know, it was slushy, honestly, again, with the way the snow was downright watery conditions at that point in the day, I should have known better to just go a little bit slower. Um, and you know, didn't, didn't need to be trying to, um, send it quite as hard as I was, uh, and that potentially could have avoided this, this whole situation. So there's a little bit of regret there. Um, Outside of that, though, I mean, once the injury did take place, got off the hill uh, as quickly as I could and, and sort of understood, okay, something happened here. Um, I could still, you know, walk on the leg. And so I was pretty confident it wasn't my ACL, but it, you know, I thought, okay, likely it's something in my knee is, is not right. Um, you know, swelled up, no shocker, right. <laughs> there was, there was quite a bit of swelling in the area. Um, and then, you know, got into the doctor as quickly as I could. So once the injury took place, I feel like I controlled the controllables at that point and made the best of the situation. 
Yeah. So I like that. You said you controlled the controllables. You know, a lot of people may have difficulty compartmentalizing like what they can control and they what they uh, have zero control over. How did you kind of go into the healing process knowing that, you know, you were going to be out not only from skiing, but other activities as well? Yeah. Um, you know, I think the, you know, I wish I could say, oh, well, I just handled it totally great from day one and it was all good and I didn't have any issues. The truth is I I probably had a, you know, week, week and a half of having a little bit of a pity party. Uh, you know, I had these grand plans that I was going to, you know, finish out the rest of ski season and then be able to do a whole bunch of hiking that I had planned out for this summer in Colorado. And all of those plans are now kind of thrown out the window. And so, um, you know, I, I think it was important, honestly, to take a little bit of time and say like, man, I, I am bummed and I am upset that this happened and this doesn't seem fair and I'm a better skier than this. And, you know, sort of letting yourself recognize those emotions and not just trying to, um, you know, throw them to the side, but like giving yourself a moment to be like, I am upset take a deep breath. Okay. What now? Um, and I think that's where, you know, the doctors, again, the PT that I worked with were incredibly helpful in putting a plan together and saying, okay, here's the timeline. This is what we're looking at. And then again, I, I kind of always go back to this phrase, right? Controlling the controllables. So, okay, today, all I can do is, you know, kind of <laughs> crutch my way over to the gym and I'm going to spin on the bike with no resistance. And okay, let me listen to a podcast while I'm doing that. So I'm, you know, trying to learn a little bit more or just have some level of enjoyment while I'm doing this. Let me make sure that my nutrition and my diet doesn't completely go out the window, right? I'm not just going to completely let myself slip off of that. And so again, taking what bits of your day that you can take back and have some level of ownership of, and just trying to celebrate those little wins along the way. Yeah. I love that. I love that design. Um, so in terms of timeline wise, um, just for the people that are listening, if they want an estimate and, you know, they always say like comparison is the thief of joy, yeah. not trying to like create comparison, but like, what was the timeline like for you from when you got injured to when you were able to kind of get back to doing some of the things you were talking about, for example, like hiking? Yeah, it's a great question. So, and I, I got a couple of things here. So, um, you know, got injured early April. Uh, it was the end of that week. And so immediately early that next week was able to get into the doctor. Very fortunate that I was able to, you know, get an MRI schedule pretty quickly and get a diagnosis and, and put the game plan together, um, through PT and through kind of, you know, the program that was put together at 14 weeks out. That was the first time I did a really short hike, probably about four miles round trip. And there was some rock and some level of uneven surface that I was able to expose myself to, but still felt okay. Had enough strength in the leg at that point that I, I felt like I could do that. Um, worth noting uh, that at 17 weeks out, I went on another hike. Um, and this is Mount Princeton. Folks in Colorado will know this, this 14er. Um, not particularly challenging. It's not a terribly long hike, but it's very rocky and it's a very uneven surface. And actually coming down on that hike kind of re-aggravated um, that fracture and, and needed to actually then sort of take a few weeks to kind of slow things down again. So, um, you know, big picture, I want to be skiing into my 60s and 70s and 80s. And so it was a good reminder of like, all right, take the time, make sure this heals up all the way. There's no need to be kind of trying to push this harder than you need to be. Um, so 
to answer your question though, kind of that 14 week mark was where I first felt like I had the confidence to, to go out on a short hike. Awesome. Awesome. And honestly, thank God for pain, like at that 17 week mark, because if we didn't feel pain, you would have just kept pushing and then refractured and been yeah. set back. And this process would be even longer. So now we're about six to seven months out post-injury. We're in the month of October. Snow has started to fall. How has this season looked like it's going to shape up for you? It looks like it's going to shape up really well. So um, again, I just mentioned, right, the long-term goal for me is I want to be skiing into my 60s, 70s, 80s, hey, maybe even my 90s, who knows? Um, and so again, going back to kind of what does the mindset look like? If that's my mindset, okay you know, I don't need to necessarily get back to a hundred percent strength this year. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm very close to that, but I don't need to be the first day of, of November when the resorts open. Um, you know, the first one up the lift kind of charging, like it's going to be okay. Like I can ease into this year a little bit. And so that's really my plan. Um, probably after Thanksgiving is when I'm planning on getting my, my first days on snow, taking it slow making sure that I can kind of test things out, starting with resorts and runs that I'm really familiar with and, and know really well. Um, and then after that, hopefully it's going to be a hard charging season. So, um, but again, making sure I'm taking that time and I'm excited for this year. It looks like it's going to be another good year. So excited for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's going to be, I mean, with so much snow that we've gotten already, it should be. Um, I'm, I'm very curious because my mindset around how I ski changed after my season ending injury. I, I know you're taking it slow to get started this year and you haven't gotten back to snow uh, or skiing yet, but do you think your mindset has shifted around kind of the sport of skiing? And, uh, can you go into that? Oh, that's a good question. Um, has it shifted around skiing? Uh, I think anytime something you love you're not able to do, um, for, you know, financial reasons, medical reasons, whatever it might be. Um, you appreciate it that much more, um, when, when you come back to it. And so, you know, I've, I've always been really grateful that I've been able to ski and, um, tried to approach it with a lot of gratitude. And, um, I think that's something that's really through this process been emphasized for me is just, man, lucky to live where I live, lucky to have the access to the mountains that I do most of the time to have the physical ability to, to enjoy the mountains the way that I do. So I think that's the biggest thing for me is just, just the gratitude I do. It'll be interesting when I actually get on snow, kind of how quickly I sort of really lean in hard on those turns and, and, and carving down the mountain. We'll have to see. Uh, I, my guess is that I'll, there'll probably be a little bit of, um, I don't want to say hesitancy, but maybe just a little bit of uh, a little bit of time before I really, again, sort of go all the way hard charging. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head when you're like, you know, your goal is to ski into your 60s, 70s and 80s and being a hard charger and taking a lot of injuries. You, our bodies aren't meant to be consistently breaking down and remodeling. And as we age, you know, that process becomes slower and slower to a point where if you don't take care of your knees, they're just going to become trashed and you're not going to be able to ski. So being at peace with maybe making some sacrifice in terms of not being able to send everything, but knowing it's for the long-term gain and for the love of skiing itself, I think you're totally on, on board um, and taking the right steps to get there. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, 
I don't know that I was hucking it off cliffs, uh, you know, now in my late twenties, early thirties, uh, you know, the way that I was when I was, you know, 15 or 16. So, you know, that, that probably is, I'm okay with, Hey, we're not going to be doing that, but definitely, you know, deep powder days, good on peace days will still be a lot of fun still to be had. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Cody, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Um, if people uh, maybe want to know a little bit more about your story, or maybe they're currently going through a tib plateau fracture and they have questions for you, is there a way that they can reach out and contact you? Yeah, absolutely. The best way for me is going to be on Instagram. So my Instagram is just Cody L. Wheat, uh, C-O-D-Y, and then L and then Wheat like the bread. Uh, that's the best way. Happy to answer any questions. Um, and I'm certainly going to be posting a lot of stories and uh, some videos of me getting after it this season. Sweet. Yeah, I'll absolutely be following you on your journey, just seeing how that progresses. And if you're listening, you should do so as well. Thanks so much, Cody. And hopefully we'll see you on the slopes this season. Sounds good. See you out there. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Legacy Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please share this podcast with your ski community and follow it so you don't miss another episode. Also, if you have a cool story and would like to be featured on the podcast, please reach out to the team. Lastly, if you're interested in working with me, you can book a strategy call at www.meettheskipt.com where I'll help you figure out the next best steps to keep you moving towards your journey of a lifetime of skiing.